1: Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert dyer And this is Talk Art.
0: Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Rob? Today, Russell, I have been listening on the train to This Woman's Work by Kate Bush. And we have already referenced that song recently with Maxwell, the singer, because he obviously did a cover of it. Yep. But I actually felt like... Listening to that album today, um Sensual World on the way up here, because it's one of my favourite ever albums. But it also it, it obviously came into my mind because I've been researching today's guest, whose um incredible paintings really do focus on women's work in a sense. And also a friend of mine, Farron Gibson, has just written a book called Women's Work as well. And it's kind of been a theme in my week. And We are massive fans of today's guest. She's an extraordinary painter and um, has a show coming up at Stephen Friedman Gallery. And there's something so wonderful about these works because they're so intimate and personal and it's kind of everyday experience and... um, kind of moments that you might kind of overlook or forget or not think are important, but are actually the foundation of kind of all of our lives. And those very personal family moments, the intimacy between a mother, a child, a kind of experience of a woman in the world, you know, going to work, and it's a very specific experience. And I feel like these paintings are following on from a really rich history, but also taking them to a a new place. So I'm very excited to welcome to talk art, Caroline
2: Walker. Hi, Hi. Caroline. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Of course.
1: Have we torn you away from your studio to get have you here today?
2: Um, not really. No, you know, I like to have a, at least one day off a week. So, <laughs> so
1: Saturday's your day off.
2: Um, one of the weekend days, usually. Yeah.
1: So you're from Scotland, as we can hear.
2: Yes, Dunfermline. Dunfermline. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is
1: that quite high up?
2: Not really, no. It's in the central belt. It's in Fife. So my nearest big city is was Edinburgh. Right, right, so, right.
1: Oh, that's, so that's quite a cultured city then.
2: Yeah, lots lots to see. There's lots of art to see. As Did a, you see that as a kid? Yeah, yeah. That was really, you know, the first paintings I was seeing were things in um, the National Gallery in Edinburgh or there was a museum near um, where I grew up in a town called Kirkcody that had a lot of, um, particularly a lot of Scottish colourists paintings in its collection. So that was the kind of stuff I was Amazing. first exposed to. That's
1: where we to. met. We met in Edinburgh. Yeah, Russell.
2: Really? Met there. Yeah.
0: At the National Gallery. Yeah, at the National yeah. Galleries of Scotland, yeah, for <laughs> Tracy Emmons' um, solo show. But also this podcast only exists because of our mums. That was like, the other thing I was thinking about yeah, in relation yeah, yeah. To, really? to the new body of work you've been making <laughs> yeah. um, for your show in London <laughs> based on motherhood. I was thinking it's really interesting.
1: Well, no, that's based on the sister-in-law. Oh, sorry. new body yeah. of work, but there has been a series based on your mother.
0: No, 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 but... The sister-in-law's had a baby, so it's her mother. Oh, I see, She's the of mother, course. Russ. Yes. Um, yeah, so it's still motherhood. Yes. Well, um you know. Anyway, and I was thinking how funny it is that the podcast itself is influenced by our mums, and then we're now talking about motherhood. I it,
2: right? <laughs> did your mums encourage you to start it? Yeah, that, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did a podcast together, and they said, we've learnt more about why you're obsessed with art from this one hour of you chatting the podcast than we ever have talking about you in real life, so... That's how we started it. Yeah,
2: really cool. <laughs> that's great. Yeah.
1: So you're based in London now, then?
2: Yes, I've been here for fifteen years. Right. Yeah. So quite a long time. Although I'm actually moving back up to Scotland. Are you? Yeah. And where where will you be living? Um, really close to where I grew up, just outside oh. that town. Oh, so, that's so exciting. Yeah. Um, my husband and I have bought a derelict farm. <gasps>
0: that,
2: um, <laughs> that we're turning into a house and studio. That's, that's so amazing. exciting. Yeah, so it's going to be a bit of a change of scene from. From living in London for quite a long time.
0: So how long have you been in
2: London? Fifteen
0: years. Oh, okay, wow. And what was it—the pandemic, or you know what, or is it just time Um, in your life that you? I think we've
2: been. I think maybe I thought I'd always want to move back up eventually. Um, And um, I had my first baby two and a quarter years ago, and I think we just sort of once we had a baby and we're a bit more kind of. We couldn't enjoy London as much as we used to. You know, we don't go out so much mm. now in the evenings and stuff. And we live in quite a small um, flat. Um, and we just sort of thought, oh, we could have all the space and sort of expand up in Scotland and have a slightly different life. But also still, you know... Um, have the I feel like I've established enough now in what I'm doing that I can come down to London without mm-hmm. actually having to be here all the time. Yes, definitely.
1: So you felt like before, as an artist, you had to be in London to make an impact.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think it was. Um, I remember. Oh, this must be like fifteen or sixteen years ago when I was thinking about going to do an MA, oh. and one of my old tutors from Glasgow School of Art. Um, I was asking her advice about where to do an MA. And she said to me, if you want to have a career in London, you're going to have to to do, to, to study there. And I think she was right. Um, and it was, you know, obviously that, that's what I did. I came down um, to study at the Royal College, which is what brought me here. Um, and I think having that base then allowed me to be able to start establishing Connections and things here.
1: Do you think that's still the case now with social media and everything?
2: I don't know. No, I, yeah, I don't. I'm interested to know what um, artists of this sort younger generation that are coming out of these courses now. It's probably very different. When I was when I graduated from the Royal College in 2009, there wasn't really social media. There was Facebook, but that wasn't something that was used in our art kind of context, not, not like really. Instagram or something like that. Um, and you kind of made all of your connections really by actually physically meeting people, by going to openings yes. and things like that. And I'm sure that's still a, a really important part of things, but I think there is also that um, that platform of Instagram that just makes everything so much more accessible to Mm -hmm. to so many more people, doesn't it? I've
0: really noticed as well artists, some of the younger artists that I've been meeting, even like an artist in America called um, Bianca Fields, like she's living in Kansas City. And then there's a whole group of artists now living in St. Louis. And they're not necessarily living in New York anymore because the rents are so expensive. And I think the same thing's happened here. And I really like this idea of like decentralising it all and like moving to other towns Mm. and and finding space both psychologically, but also physically for the studio. And then being somewhere that you can in a few hours be in the city. To eat, come and put on shows here, but you don't necessarily have to be here the whole time. I think it's it's a really healthy thing and really exciting, really.
2: Yeah, well, it means that there's things going on in other cities as well. Um, like uh, Louise Giovanelli, who and yes, yeah. um, that you obviously she's in Manchester. Like that's it hasn't that's no barrier to her no. r- being very visible as an artist. Totally. You know, just because she's not in London, so.
0: Mm. And it actually widens everyone's experience, doesn't it? For the whole art world, for for different communities. like It's actually a, a good thing <laughs> to have di- choice and to be able to get on the train and go to see shows or yeah. in different mm. places. Like It's rich, really, isn't it, for yeah. cultural life.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about your work. Rob was saying in the intro about um, your practice, but something about it is that you make the ordinary remarkable. It's like you make us notice the everyday. And people coming to your work will see these portraits of women many singular but it's very voyeuristic so it's set back and you're capturing these women at work like rob was saying women's work how did you come across that subject as something that you wanted to celebrate i would guess
2: um well i guess i've always wanted to paint and draw women like really since i was a little girl that was all i wanted to to draw i used to sit in this cupboard in the kitchen and just scribble away sort of for hours and into these little drawings of what I refer to as fancy ladies um, they were either, there was only sort of two types of women in this sort of childhood world of mine yeah. they were either very glamorous um, when these were the fancy ladies with um, um, glamorous dresses and high heels on or they were quite thinly veiled depictions of my mum doing housework um, so I guess I was sort of hardwired I think from the beginning to be really interested in um, looking at women and looking at images of them and making pictures about them and that's something that I suppose I've just never really lost as a you know as developed my work as an artist um, but I think it that in itself has kind of um, changed in different ways over the years I spent a long time working in quite a constructed way where I was Hiring locations, hiring models, mm. clothing them, directing them um, into this sort of narrative of my own design, and that sustained me for a number of years. But then I've, I suppose I kind of ran out of steam with that, and at the same time started noticing things much more in in my life around me in in London. Um, started with I just started seeing all of these nail bars out of the window of the bus on my way going to and from the studio and became quite fascinated by them as spaces, about who's, who was in there. Like, that's a female-dominated space, mm. ne- nearly all women working there and nearly always women clientele. Um, and I suppose that's, that was the first women-at-work paintings I was making, so that was in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um mm. And then I kind of went back to doing a little bit of more of this very constructed sort of stuff. Um, But the real change for me came in 2017. I did a um, project for Kettle's Yard, um, which was a kind of commission. Um,
1: That was their reopening?
2: Yes, yeah, yeah, for that first um, show of them reopening. Um, And they asked me to make some work in response to the refugee crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Obviously, that was like it's a huge subject to to think about, and it took me quite. That was in two thousand sixteen. They approached me about that. It took me a long time thinking about it to decide um, if it was the right thing for me to do as an artist, and if so, how I would sort of tackle that. Um,
1: why? Why would that be? Because um, I, I read you say that you feel like an artist has responsibility. Do you feel a yeah. responsibility for the images that you put out in the world?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think. Um, it's sort of um' it's having to think about whether it's appropriate for me to tell somebody else's story who's in a um situation that's very different to mine mm-hmm. um and about how that can be done in a sensitive way that makes those people still feel that they have ownership and authorship over that the way that that's told mm-hmm. um and it was seen at the time it seemed quite very different to the work that I was making, so um it also had to feel right for me as an artist that it was the right kind of subject for me to to address um and I made the decision that if it was gonna be something that I could respond to, it had to be about women because that was always what my work was about, mm. and that it should be about women in London because it was a city that I was living in um so I found a charity called Women for Refugee Women that's actually run, that's based very close to my studio. And um, I got in touch with them and they were quite receptive to the idea of doing something with me. And in the end, that took the form of this collaboration with them where I made a series of portraits of five of the women in their network um, in the accommodation that they were in at that time, which was summer 2017. And that was such a kind of, it was a bit of a kind of lightbulb moment for me really because it was, I suddenly realised that I'd been spending all, this, all these years like inventing all these stories but yeah. actually like real people's lives are far more powerful and that actually the stories are, are there and these people around us and these people's lives who are quite invisible in this city and it made me really start thinking about that idea of invisibility and what we value um, in society, um, in both in terms of um, monetary value, in, which is how I sort of got into that idea of thinking about women at work. Um, so directly after that body of work, um, with this idea of invisibility, and then also still thinking about that work that I'd made with the nail bars, um, I started thinking about the idea of that in this work context. And I made a um, series of paintings of women working as um, housekeeping staff in hotels Mm -hmm. um, because that is a job that seems to be 99% women as far as I can can see. And of course, it's it's a job that by its very nature is designed to be invisible. Um, And yeah, just I guess it was that sort of moment that really started this. And then that's it's just a subject that I feel like it's 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 so broad that I've got so many different ways to go with it.
1: Mm. How do you approach these subjects then? So like the the women in the nail bar, and I guess it's an interesting concept of some workers are designed to be invisible. Like you said, the people in the hotel, people that stay in the hotel don't want to really see the the room service staff, do they? But how how do you approach them and how how do they respond to you? you, And what is your process? Do you photograph them or sketch them?
2: Yeah, so... um, Yes, so I mo- with most of these things, most of the projects that I've done, it involves spending time shadowing women while they're working and photographing them. Oh, right. Um, how I get that access to that is quite varied. Um, with the nail bars, I went round lots of nail bars, um, which is really embarrassing, with my sort of iPad. Going, think- Look, this is my work, you know, like then I, <laughs> I'd really like to do something with you. Um, and I don't know how many I went into before I got some that would actually work with me, um, but I did in the end. Um, and then with the hotels, that took about six months till I found any hotels that would even respond to me. Um, and actually in both of those cases, with the nail bar and the the hotels that I worked with, the, the owners of them had an interest in art, so that was kind of what gave me the... The inn. The inn, yeah. Wow, that's cool. But you um, would
1: turn up and you would photograph them with your iPad...
2: Oh, sorry, no. I mean, I was just showing pictures on my no, iPad right. to try and sort of yeah, yeah. get them interested.
1: Yeah, the pitch. Yeah, the your pitch. pitch. Yeah. But ha- ha- what is the process after they go, yeah, that's fine, let's do it?
2: Um, yeah, well, so for example, with the housekeeping stuff, um, I, I, I had an arrangement with the head housekeeper. And I, I went to one big hotel where um, I sort of turned up at half eight in the morning for their morning meeting um which was all conducted in Romanian so I didn't understand what any anybody was saying but they were talking about me because <laughs> they were sort of laughing at me oh, and no. i was standing in the corner <laughs> taking <laughs> oh, photos and no. um, and then I got given um just given a sort of key to all floors and they were like if the doors open and somebody's working in the room you know you can photograph them like everybody has agreed wow um, so with something like that it was quite um I was sort of floating around a bit and um there was a bit of a language barrier. most of the women didn't have very good English, so um wasn't really a chance to sort of chat with them mm. them much um but then I worked at another hotel where I just spent one morning with the same housekeeper all morning, and that was really nice got a chance to find out a bit more about her life and um you know how she'd sort of come to do this job and things so it's it's a bit of a mix really it depends what's available to me i suppose and the thing with trying to document people while they're working is they're often very busy so yeah i'm i'm kind of trying to be invisible myself in the background is that the
1: voyeuristic (laughs) approach that we see in your work then because you are taking a step back you aren't imposing yourself within their scene you you're the viewer and we are the viewer of your view
2: yeah i think i always want the work to still acknowledge the fact that i'm an outsider i'm always kind of looking into somebody else's life or somebody else's work or um and i'm getting a bit i'm just getting a momentary glimpse of that Mm. so and and yeah i think some of some of the way that actually manifests itself in the paintings is practical you know i am standing at a, a distance um to be able to get as much of a room in or to not get in somebody's way. Mm. Um, but, I, yeah, I always keep that in, keep the corner of the door or or the thing mm-hmm. that I've been sort of looking round.
1: But there's a cup of tea sometimes to signify you, like the artist yeah. is present. Yeah, there's yeah. often the
2: objects of my, Or sometimes I'm caught in a reflection of a mirror or yeah. something like that. It's like the creepy spectre in the background <laughs> of the camera. Are they, are they
1: interested in the final product? You know, they must be curious about what you're going to make of them. Did they get to see these Yeah,
2: works? I um yeah, it's a bit of a mixed bag. It's funny. Um I just did this really big um project at the um at UCLH in the maternity ward and that was quite uh I spent several days there in different parts and met you know 30 40 different people doing things and I made these paintings and some it's I'm always it's always interesting the difference in response. Some people are really excited about it and really mm. want to see the work and talk about it. And other people they don't they don't really engage at all in it. But they're happy to let they're happy to be in it, but they don't mm. really um mm. Uh, want to sort of talk about it much afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, interesting. Um,
1: Maybe they just don't know how to talk about it. Some people yeah. are kind of alienated by art and they don't have the language, so they'd rather not ask anyone anything. Like you've yeah. had experiences where you've been at dinners and they've said, What do you do? And you go, I'm a gallerist, and they sort of go. They literally okay.
0: turn the other way and then talk to the other guests they oh, really? and turn their back on me for the whole wedding. It's oh, really strange. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm less sat on my own. Like it's really, sometimes people get quite a, a visceral reaction to like being scared of having to talk about art. But I can yeah. also imagine if you've been the subject of a painting maybe that's embarrassing or something do you know what i mean like yeah i don't know know.
2: when i was doing the housekeeping um, project in the big hotel um there was one woman who's actually featured in quite a few paintings and her english was pretty good and i spent quite a while with her and we were chatting a bit and she seemed very bemused by what i was up to (laughs) like she didn't really like she was like she's like you're gonna make paintings of these and she said, why would anybody want to see a painting of us to see if we're good at cleaning? Ah. Um, and I was like, no, no, no. Like, I was trying to sort of explain to her that, like, why why shouldn't anybody want to see a painting of you? Like, trying to sort of make her think about um, that she's just as worthy of being the subject of a work of art as anybody else. Um, so, yeah, I think it's sort of maybe she sort of, yeah, I think it's maybe a bit of a weird thing for people to get their head around like yeah. what what is this about well, if they, kind of thing.
1: If they've also been deemed invisible and suddenly you're giving them that much attention, mm. then it must be confusing to them like like you're saying like are you snooping on me sort of thing checking yeah. up that the the yeah. work is actually all right. I mean that's it's what what I'm always drawn to with your work is that I think as an actor as well as a and a writer as an the interiority. You can really read the inner monologue of your characters, especially one that I, I love, Elaine, which oh, okay. is you're from your local favourite bakery yeah. and she's there. And this was during the pandemic and she's looking at you. She's got like a kind of with tr- the white bakery trilby hat and a mask on. I just know who she is. <laughs> I can hear her voice in my head. I can imagine her demeanour, how she's serving everyone. You're giving absolute agency to... You know the peripheral that the people we take for granted, I guess. But you're elevating them to art. You know, you're, you're making sure that people know they exist, and that's a gift. Do you feel that? And I guess that's where you feel this responsibility.
2: Yeah, I suppose it's, um, yeah. Why that person? Why, yeah. why not somebody else? Um, I mean, for me, Elaine was an obvious choice. Um, that painting with of her was, um. Yeah. Made for a show at the Bank Centre called Everyday Heroes, um, and I got asked to do this to do a painting for that. And like literally the day before or something, I got asked to do this thing. I'd been chatting to Elaine, and this was like right in the middle of the first lockdown.
1: And the bakery stayed open.
2: Yeah, it was still open, and she was but she was telling me how she was sort of really worried about coming to work every day, and she like said, "Oh, you know, my husband take drives me up to work at six and he comes and picks me up at the end of it and i get home said I, I i i wash all the clothes that i was wearing i have a shower and then I, I stay in the house until the next day and i was just sort of quite taken aback at that um sacrifice of her own um personal sort of enjoyment of of you know a lot of people spent lockdown going for nice walks and doing things yeah. and she basically used all of her outside time to come and do this this job mm. um And I just thought she was, like, it really struck me as a very like the kindness and the sort of yeah. community kind of...
1: Community generosity. Yeah, like yeah, of people like of that, that. role in the community.
0: Yeah, I, I actually really loved that project as well at South Bank Centre
2: because they asked other
0: artists, like Benjamin Senior did an amazing one of a, a masked man in a Fruit market, market store yeah. Yeah, that was in Russell's um, group show in Margate recently. Barbara yeah. Walker. But, but, yeah, Barbara Walker. There were so many great artists that we know and love. But I loved the fact that they were also putting them on these big banners outside and then the public could then go and see these
1: moments yeah. that weren't very everyday. Yeah, it was an outside exhibition.
2: Yeah, it was really funny. I, I felt like a celebrity at the bakers for oh. a, a couple of months because every time I went round, they would be like, "Oh, all the you know, like, they basically um, the place is really busy at about half six, seven in the morning with um, tradesmen picking up their sandwiches and stuff for for the day." And then a lot of them were are driving off across Waterloo Bridge to go and do jobs and things. And they'd be like, look, there's a lane, <laughs> like on the side so of the Did you whatever. get
1: free, free buns and bread? And
2: um, I didn't get that many freebies,
1: actually. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> That's my, my, not on. My daughter um, does
2: very well in free gingerbread
0: men though. So I guess. <laughs> yes. You know, I've been thinking a lot recently about authenticity and about the reason that a lot of us connect to artworks and sometimes I see artists as they're evolving, you know, from maybe from when they graduate and they've been looking at a lot of previous influences, whether it's historical or contemporary artists, and then you see their work and it's often kind of a riff on all those influences. And that shift between that point to then almost like finding like a voice, like your own voice, which in a way is within all of us from the beginning, but it's about struggling through society, then finding who you are. And the one of the reasons I love your paintings is when I see them, I just believe them. Like they they're real they are authentic and they're genuine and i think that is based on these collaborations you have with the sitter and whether it be your mother janet or whether it be like you know lisa your sister in law but like these these very intimate connections even the the baker it's someone you actually see or care about is that idea of that that kind of bond between you and the sitter something that's like vital in order for you to find your own voice does that make sense
2: i think it's um, well, I suppose a lot of what I've done is veered between either the very personal, like my mum and my sister-in-law, and then these totally anonymous mm. um, paintings where it's quite voyeuristic and it's a painting of a woman that I've never met and I never will meet. You know, mm. somebody glimpsed through a window. But
1: they're always aware that they're being...
2: Um, not always. Oh, right. No, I've done some work that was specifically about what you see from the public space. Of the city as you walk around pavements, catching glimpses of other people's lives, I suppose, through the windows of shops or offices and yeah. things like that. Um, and yeah, so the, the work's often gone between those two things, although it was mainly pretty anonymous up until um, I made the paintings of my mum, actually. And I was, um, it seems, it's funny, I was talking about this with my husband recently. And he he was sort of saying, Oh, that was quite a risky move for you doing these paintings of your mum. And they don't you know, they do, they look like the least risky paintings you could possibly imagine. <laughs> but I suppose I, what he meant was that um for me to do something that was quite personal, mm. when I've al- I think I always felt for a number of years um right. that I had to have this kind of quite objective distance from my subjects in in order to be able to see them properly. Um yeah. And I th- it was actually, it was when I was making those hotel housekeeping paintings and I was speaking to my mum about it, that I suddenly realised that she was doing that invisible kind of work in the home as millions of other women do um, for for no money, you know? And that suddenly there was actually, a, um, I'd been going in the same way that I'd had that epiphany about, oh, I've been going all over the world to make up all these st- stories suddenly thought, oh, I've also been looking always to women that I are outside of my own world for subjects when actually there's some really interesting ones in the relationships that I have yeah, myself, right. <laughs> yeah.
1: Was your mum aware that you were drawing a, when you were a kid? Oh, yes. <laughs> was she ever upset that she was never the glamorous woman? She was always yes. the... <laughs> I, I,
2: I, wrote, I wrote this story when I was about five or something called Never Be a Washer Woman. And it's basically a stuff like... Um, about your mum? <laughs> <laughs> That's her. Um, yeah. I mean, and she's got... I mean, she's tough. I, she said I, I just made so many drawings. that She didn't keep them. She just had to chuck oh. them away. But there's, she find, I used to make all these bookmarks for her. And there's this bookmark that she's got that she's kept... Which is a a little sort of um, um, series of scenes, um, and it's this woman who looks like my mum. I mean, as a five year old drawer um, in a kitchen, sort of, and with a man sitting at the table, going, "Where's my dinner?" And she's like, "You're just going to have to wait for it." Sort of thing. And then eventually, says, "You know, shut up, or you'll be wearing it." (laughs) 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 She said, "I had very strong ideas about."
1: Patriarchy and yes, yes. I was
2: not, you know, not impressed. Like why you know, why does mummy have to do that and daddy does this yeah, sort of thing? So yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: But amazing kind of that amazing. as a kid, it's like a lot of artists, the work that they are drawn to as a kid remains their practice. Yeah. You know, you're talking about little scenes. What we're seeing they full up like movie stills, don't they? They're kind of they're they're captured like stills from a movie and then the woman's work and you've got your mother in there and this is Janet. And then you've done this whole series you've gone back to. But what I found fascinating about it is that you said that this could be, it's it's contemporary, it's now, but it could be 30 years ago because what she's doing every day in the house, the housework, the the making the beds, the hoovering, (laughs) she's been doing that for 30 years. So it, it, it has a timelessness in there.
2: Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's that idea of these repeated Tasks, you know, the old saying, "A woman's work is never done," yeah. kind of thing. It's like the i that that work of maintenance, labor, you know, of cleaning and cooking and caring and things like that is never is is never complete. It's just sort of cyclical; it keeps going round and round. Whether that's you know jobs that get done every day or every week or every year, um, yeah. and yeah, I wanted there to be this sort of sense of. That cyclical nature of that in that body of works, repetition um and for it to yeah feel a bit timeless in a way, but then also have um hopefully have these things in it that would make us recognize it as now, like mm-hmm. even if that's in just like the the glimpse of a sort of i don't know a product sitting on the shelf or something that um is a reminder of contemporary life. What does
1: Janet think of the body of work
2: <laughs> she was i wouldn 't say she was reluctant to begin with, but she was a bit like, What the hell do you want to paint me for um <laughs> nobody 's going to want them <laughs> but I think she did um she really liked them as a record of this of that house because this house has been her and my dad 's kind of life 's work in a way um mm kind of caring for it and that's the way she talks about it as well um and i think for her to see that in these paintings gives her a lot of pride even if she feels a bit sort of embarrassed about seeing herself in in the paintings mm. is that
1: I, I guess we interviewed another artist called jenna gribbon which i know that you you yeah. listen to and, and her partner and herself they they're very intimate paintings. Yeah. And I said, is that tough to put them out in the world? Is it tough like your mum's saying no one's going to want those? But they do want those. You have a lot of people that really love your work and you're being in great collections and you've got like loyal collectors. Is there a reluctance on your part or any like heartbreak of putting them out in the world and someone's got your mum on their wall?
2: Yeah, so like, I find it very difficult to part with those paintings. I actually kept quite a lot of them. uh <laughs> um, yeah, it's yeah, it's both difficult to let go of them but then also really special to think of other people like having them in their house and so I think one of the things I was worried about when I was starting that body of work that it might be too personal and that, like, why would anybody really care about seeing pictures of my mum and is it a bit sentimental to have these paintings sort of thing, but... Um a lot of people seem to respond to them, and they're like oh i I look at that and I see my mum you yes, know like, exactly and that that was the universality a, of it, yeah you know. 100%. It really touched me that for other people felt like yeah that they saw their own mum in those pictures of That's what
0: I was kind of getting at earlier. That's what I love about this collaboration and connection because even you as a voyeur, say, walking around London and you get fleeting glimpses of, I don't know, a, a woman in a window, that's also an experience that, you, that people have in a city. It's kind of a very... It's it's an experience you don't acknowledge, like as as someone living in the city, until I see the painting, and then when you see the painting, it brings back memories of my own experience. It's really, it's really powerful that.
1: But it's what the best art does is it makes you see something, and then you see it everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like we will now see your images everywhere we go, and you yeah. you imagine these people in your images, and it makes you feel more. I see your images of your mum, and it makes me love my mum more, Ooh. and go, oh, okay, well you you did that that, and I and I. Give you all the love and respect in the world that you did do that when we were kids, and you still do that every day. That's what the best art does.
0: Yeah, on a really practical level. So you take photographs in these situations, whether it be your mum, whether it be the cleaners, whoever it is you're following. And is that just a kind of the easiest way of documenting it? Because you obviously can't sit down and actually do it. You know, is that a um,
2: smartphone as well? Just and like... yeah, how are you? Documented? No, no, I, I use like a a digital SLR. Um, yeah, um. When I first I first started using, working with a model in interiors when I was at the Royal College, so quite a long time ago now. Um, and at the time I was drawing and painting the model on location and doing things like that. Um, and I carried on with that for a few years in combination with the photographs. But um, in the end I felt like if I'm drawing and there's a figure, all I'm really interested in looking at is the figure. Mm. And actually what my work is really about is this, Relationship between the figure and the environment and there's something about photography that is quite democratic in the way that it captures that. You know, like it's just taking everything in at the same um, intensity and then so that means that when I've got that material in the studio as well I have that quite democratic kind of treatment of of that situation to work with Um which is something that I'm thinking about in the paintings you know it's the same level of care given to painting um I don't know a um, a bin bag in the corner is, as as is given to the, the the figure and the face um so yeah the, the, the photography's such an important tool for me um I might come away with like hundreds of photographs from from a shoot especially with these um Works that are about trying to document somebody while they're working because um I'm not I want it to be very natural, so I'm just sort of snapping away while they're doing whatever they're they're doing um and then so it's back in the studio it's then that I start to kind of translate that um that reference material into something else um through lots of drawing um and kind of quite crude collaging often um, actually a collaging portion that's really just done through drawing um,
1: Oh, So you'll bring like that that body position from them and that, that bed angle and you are splice yeah. it in some ways. Um,
2: not always sometimes I have what, an image that's great and I can use it quite directly um, but often it's particularly if it's a multi-figure kind of composition um, so for example um, one of the big paintings that I made from the hospital is of a um an operating theatre junior C section. It's got nine people in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um I think I use like five or six different that photographs. Theater. Yes. Yeah. Um to sort of put it together. So there's quite a lot of quite a long process of kind of working out how to, to put things together in that way. Um I'm working out what the subject is because there'll be a lot of there's a lot of photographic material and that starts to um as the time sort of goes on and I'm just in the studio with this stuff, um it mixes with that memory of having been there, so I think that's why it's always been really important for me that it's me that's there in that situation and having that relationship with that subject, whether that's a relationship that lasts five minutes, you know, a couple of hours or a lifetime sort of thing, it's kind of it has to be something about how I felt being there when I was taking those photographs as well. But that's
1: inspired kind of by your own pregnancy, right? This series of work came from you being in a maternity ward and witnessing everything that's going on around you.
2: Um yeah, in in part. So I'd actually s i would actually I was already discussing I am um, doing a residency with the hospital before I got pregnant. Um because I this um the show that I did which was at the Fitzrovia Chapel, um we'd been talking about this for about three and a half years before it actually happened. Um, And we, uh, Hannah Watson, um, the chair of the chapel, and I had um, put together this idea of doing something that might look at nursing um, and showing that in the chapel because um, Fitzrovia Chapel is the former hospital chapel for Middlesex uh, Hospital, which no longer exists. Which had Um, the AIDS ward for London. Yes, exactly, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd started speaking to the hospital and they were interested, um, but I hadn't really figured out where I wanted to be in the hospital yet. And then I got pregnant and started going to UCLH myself in a personal um, capacity and just started getting kind of interested in like, you know, like getting a blood test, being like that curtain's a nice colour of purple or stuff. Like, <laughs> like, what's she doing over there? Or like, you know, would
1: you whip your camera out or would you be sketching yeah, at no.
2: this no. point? Just thinking, <laughs> oh, right, right, pl- right. plotting right, right. and I sort of suddenly kind of thought, hang on a minute this is like the obvious place in the hospital for me to be because could there be a more, you know, women centred part of the hospital? Like, Obviously mm. all the patients are women but it's overwhelmingly the workforce is women as well because midwifery and nursing are so um, heavily female dominated. Mm. So at some point during that, I just thought I think this is where I want to be. Um, And but it wasn't until about a year and a half after my daughter was born because of um, the pandemic that I actually went to the, the hospital to start the residency.
1: This is an incredible show because these were three huge paintings theatre, as we just discussed, which is a C-section. You've got nine doctors, did you say? Nine, and
2: nine figures, nine yeah. Nine figures
1: around it. Then there's one called Ultrasound and one called Birthing Pool, and they were in the, the Fitzrovia church. And they were inspired by four paintings, two diptychs that were in the reception of the Middlesex Hospital, and they're now in the collection of the Welcome Collection, but they were images of medical staff at work.
2: Yes. Um they were called The Acts of Mercy, um, by Frederick Cayley Robinson. And they they kind of encapsulate They were there's were, were sort of representational figurative paintings were quite symbolist in um a lot of respects, and they were about reflecting the original um purpose of hospitals, which was much broader than our contemporary idea of hospitals. It wasn't just about giving medical care. They were often about um, uh, feeding. and um often, the setup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was about sort of caring for the community in a much uh, broader mm. um, respect. So, yeah, those paintings became a bit of a starting point in terms of the work that I was going to make, not so much in terms of, um, the actual content and sub- subject matter, but more thinking about the idea of the like, paintings in and about hospitals and the scale. Yes, and the format. Yeah, so I I um, made the big paintings that I um, presented exactly the same size as those original Middlesex Hospital ones. What well, and what was
1: I mean? There's something about this story. Knowing you know, knowing that the AIDS war was there and, and lots of wards, obviously, but the fact that so many people would have witnessed these paintings as they entered reception, yeah, yeah. to go through whatever they were going through. And now in the Fitzrovia Chapel, you've you've created this body of work which is referencing that and then the now. It's it's phenomenal. What what was that process like of making them paintings of that scale? And is that the biggest you've worked at?
2: Um, yes, it is. Yeah, um, yeah. So each one was two meters by three meters forty. Mm. Um, I mean, I make a lot of large scale paintings, but this quite panoramic format of these ones was quite. Um, it's quite different for me. I'm not used to working on it's almost a sort of cinematic kind of scale yeah. or something, yeah. and I have quite a small studio, so I was gonna um, ask about
1: the, the yeah. studio so they're big for the studio,
2: oh yeah, like my studio is like five by seven meters. So like, and by the time I got to the last one, I left the C-section one to last because it was really difficult. But by then I had these other two ones sort of piled up on the side on an already massive pile of painting. And as I couldn't really see what I was doing, um, and I'm getting very annoyed with them. Um, so it was definitely a, it was a bit of a challenge and it was quite, yeah, when I saw them in the chapel for the first time, I was a bit like, oh, like, Wow, that's what they look like because I couldn't really get very far away from them, or I mean, you can't sort of, step and, back. yeah, not not sort of properly like to really get a sense of whether they work or not. Because especially something like that theatre painting, um, as I said, it was a bit of a composite of quite a few different images. Um, so I was trying to, which were at slightly different scale as well. So I was trying to piece together a room that spatially worked as well, sort of reconstructing these sort of moving things around a bit Um, and often it's a bit difficult to see if things like the perspective and things have fully worked until you see something in a big space and you can step back
0: You know, I think sometimes when you look at works like the kind of body of work that you're making, often people are so drawn to the figure, so they think about the story of that person, particularly if they find out their name and it becomes a kind of narrative. But what I find really interesting about your work is the psychological space, the actual interior space, the walls, even if you're viewing from outside through a window, the fact that they're they're contained in that space. Can you talk a bit about psychological space?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a really important part of how I think about placing those subjects in those Uh, compositionally in the the paintings um I'm always thinking about you know what's meeting the edge of the canvas where is the figure within that and how that plays into this idea of that that space as a metaphor for an interior space or um what it tells us about or what we can imagine about how that person might be feeling in that position Mm -hmm. um and that's when I, when I used to make those very constructed paintings. I always talked about it in this terms of sort of maison scene, like those elements that come together to make a, a story. Mm. So this place, people, you know, lighting, objects, all these sort of things that start give you all these clues about somebody. Um, and at the, in that, when I was making that work, I was deciding on what all those things were. And now when I go to somewhere, I'm looking at what's there and thinking about what are the important things that tell me about that sort of psychological space. What's the lighting? Um, How does that change how that space feels? So the, the hospital painting is quite a good example of that, actually, because... Um, the interiors of a hospital are quite uniform in a lot of ways, you know, yeah. in terms of interior design, I guess, you know, um, because the purpose of them is a clinical purpose. It's functional, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and for a vast majority of the spaces, it's this quite sort of um, harsh, bright light. So the operating theatre painting is all about um, this bright light to be able to see what work they're they're doing. Um, but the other two paintings, the ultrasound painting, it's this darkened room where the only light source um, is this image on the screen. Yeah, yeah. Um, And when I was making that painting, I was thinking about the space of that room being almost sort of womb-like in a way. It's sort of dark and sort of um, encircling these figures there. And then in the Burfing Pool painting, um, it's... They've turned off all the electric lighting because they're trying to create this relaxing space for this yeah, woman course, who's in yeah. labour, um, and it's just this cool daylight coming through the window. So there's, it just that change in lighting transforms what those spaces become and their intention. Um, so that's something that's always like a huge part of what I'm thinking about how you set the things up that, um, and what that does to colour, you know, and how how we read. Different color and, and and interpret that to, to mean a certain thing.
0: Yeah, I feel like in hospitals as well, they have so many smooth surfaces. So, like, even the floors, when you walk on them, you kind of, it's like no other space you go to, really, because there's that kind of squeaking feeling. Yeah. And then also cleanliness and like the hygiene and the way everything has to, you know, they, they're so worried, obviously, about MRSA and like, you know, different bacteria. So, I'm always really hyper aware. I don't know if it's like an OCD thing, but when I go into a hospital, I'm always like, is everything clean? Is everything being cleaned? <laughs> you know, it's like a real hypertension that kind of happens that is psychological as well. I realized through looking at your work how important there's a whole history of, of, of artists who have made work about very domestic scenes, but even contemporary artists like Lindsay Mendick, Tracy Emin, Louise Bourgeois, Cathy um, Wilkes, they're all kind of like heroes of mine, and often thinking about psychological space. Can you speak a bit about some of your influences? Like, I know that you look very, very far back, maybe not so contemporary, and, and how those influences impacted, you know, the, your progress.
2: Yeah, I think the, the biggest influences on my work, I mean, I, I certainly look at lots of contemporary artists and, and I'm interested in what my peers and things are doing but I think um as I think might be the case for a lot of artists sometimes it's easier to look at something that's quite historically distant from yourself to to actually draw um inspiration from for your own work um and for me that's I mean I've a couple of different sort of periods of painting but the main one for has really always been sort of late 19th century Painting um, a lot of French painters, um, Manet, uh, Degas, um, Cassat, Morisot. Oh, These kind Cassatt
1: of Cassatt painted family members yes, as well. Yes,
2: yeah. You? So I've, I've certainly looked at those a lot in the ah. last few years. Um, same with Morisot, like um, a lot of paintings of women, um, um, mothers, and children. Yeah. Or often, actually, I think is is the case in some of those. It's more like um, nurses and. The and the children, and um, so the people are actually doing the yeah. the looking after the kids, um, so that kind of painting of modern life, I suppose, as it was sort of thought, um, and that I and then the other big sort of area of interest for me has been Dutch genre painting, um, so again is another sort of reflection of a particular time, a particular society, through depictions of the everyday. Um, this and, is
1: the light, isn't it? This is Dutch light, Vermeer. This is what I see with the computer screen—is the window in the kitchen. Yeah, you know, when yeah. they're playing cards or or cross-stitching, it's like <laughs> embroidery. It's that light that you, you know, in the, every every day you notice it as a light in in a ward. But then as soon as it becomes an artistic an artwork, then that light references art history. Yeah, and that's what it does in your practice. It's definitely Vermeer in there, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a huge influence for me. Um, the light in these Dutch paintings, and also the way that they um, constructed space, these sort of successive spaces that you often look through. Um, and that's quite a big part of the way I construct space myself. Um, to really do something where you're looking at quite a simplistic space, there's nearly always something that you've got to look through or get past um, to view the subject. Um, and then the other influence really for me is as I said, you know, I spent a lot of time when I was growing up looking at uh, Scottish painting. Um so Scottish colourists like Peplo Ferguson, um and also the Glasgow Boys of the sort of eighteen eighties. So um Guthrie was a big sort of um painter that I looked at a lot when I was And these are figurative works. Yeah, yeah, very And um, so and it's interesting actually that this this um connection between Scottish and French painting because actually the Scottish painters of that time were looking to France um um rather than England. You know, like I think there were more parallels in the way they, the the actual paint handling. Like so it's quite sort of um um well, I'm gonna try and find the word now um sort of buttery use of paint. You know, like the way that you might think about like a lot of impressionist sort of um way that they're sort of moving paint around, and that's quite typical of the way a lot of Scottish painters were working at the time. Um, So that's probably where a lot of these... I think in the same way that you sort of talking about how a lot of artists, the thing that they were really drawn to as a kid Mm. is the thing they... And I think a lot of that still remains... Like, the paintings that I loved looking at Mm. when I was a teenager, you know, I still love.
1: I, I see... Paula Rego weirdly as well at times Oh yeah
2: I love absolutely love Paula Rego she's oh, cool. one of my heroes she's amazing Yeah 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 I'm So there.
0: the new exhibition that's about to open in April at Stephen Friedman Gallery in Central London that must be very exciting Can you speak a bit about that specific project because this exhibition is very much focused on one individual
2: Yes um my sister-in-law Lisa um so this is a body of work that's kind of a partner really to what I was doing at the hospital So if the hospital's looking at that clinical, professional angle of um, giving birth and of um, early motherhood, then Lisa is the more personal, subjective, at home, kind of, what happens next (laughs) kind of view of that. Um, So Lisa had her first baby um, at the beginning of August last year, which was it was actually the, the week before I went into the hospital to do this residency, so it was very much um, all happening mm. at once. You know, kind like of synchronicity, synchronized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. seeing <laughs> sort of tiny little babies in the hospital, and then going to visit them and getting a chance to have a shot. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so the yeah, the body of work um, it spans about four months of time so it's a month before the baby's born up until she's three months old and it's really about that quite big transitional sort of moment which is something i felt myself um when i had my daughter um and i want i was interested in trying to think about that through painting because i know that i mean motherhood is something that obviously has been explored a lot as a subject but I couldn't really see an awful lot of contemporary painting kind of um, explorations of that um, in terms of what that looks like as a sort of everyday um, reality of, you know, um, the first month or two with, your, with a new baby can be quite claustrophobic in a way. Mm. They kind of feel like it's an endless day or night in a way, because everything is punctuated by this sort of feeding and... um it's cyclical. Sort of, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it, you kind of lose a bit of the sort of sense of days in the same way and you're really tired and... Um, very sort of hormonal and like the whole thing is I'm probably
1: anxious. A, I mean, oh yeah, I think, massively. Right, yeah, what, if, if, if you're checking them all the time and is it is this okay? And Google. Yeah, I mean, yeah I don't know Google what you're doing. Must Constantly be like, what is this rash? <laughs> also like, like
0: physical this, recovery as well, and like yeah. healing and repair in a sense.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a it's a big shock to the system, I think, and it's. I think a lot of women feel like that, especially like with a first baby, because you don't really. Everybody kind of tells you certain sort of things, but you don't really know what to expect. Um, so I thought it was. Uh, an interesting subject and it wasn't something when I was going through it myself I was like looking at all this kind of stuff that had suddenly appeared in my house that I never knew existed before like breast pumps and sort of all manner of kind of like weird paraphernalia um, and I was like Mm, like Simultaneously feeling miserable, but then also thinking, oh, that might be quite interesting in a painting. So <laughs> i thinking, I don't think I can make the, uh, paintings about myself in this situation. Um, and well, you've then, never
1: put yourself in a painting, have you?
2: Not in any kind of... Well, I not for a long time and not in any kind of really meaningful sort of way.
1: So is that why you were reluctant to make yourself the subject?
2: Yeah, I think I didn't. I find it. I, am, I think there's a lot of me in all of the work that I make, but I'm in, I'm interested in that in this slightly roundabout kind of way about thinking about things that are universal um, and that might I can empathise with, but through looking at the lives of other people. Um, and when Lisa, um, when I sort of found out she was pregnant. I started to have this idea that maybe there was an opportunity to look at this as a subject through somebody that I'm very close to. Um, and that it would also be, it would be different to the experience that I had as well. Because um, she's actually done much better than I did um, in that in that adjustment into this sort of different role. Um so, it's because
1: you're there the whole time taking photos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like <laughs> I'm not on my own with the baby. There's always someone there with the camera. i find fine.
2: Um, so, yeah, I, I think I just sort of thought it was uh, also like a really nice thing to document this moment for her in a way of this... Um,
1: she was up for it? Yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, Oh, my brother was a bit like, hey, maybe you could get me in the background doing some woodwork or something outside in the workshop. And I was like, no. It's always everybody else that gets to be in them. Like, it's mum and now it's Lisa. <laughs> so, so. If you
0: think about personal being political, and I know you're not in these paintings, but you've definitely like constructed them thought about them chosen the subjects deliberately can you speak a bit about the politics behind it like the the kind of drive behind this body of work because for me I, i don't think it's just like a it's very deliberate isn't it i think in a sense
2: yeah i think it's although these works in a lot of ways i'm always kind of like oh i'm just showing you what's here i'm just documenting what other people are doing you're right there is there's a choice in what i choose to to show what, what what the thing is that gets turned into the painting. And it is about giving, sort of. I don't know, it's the things I notice that I'm trying to show you as well, the things that are um, all around us but that maybe we don't stop and think to look at. Mm. And I think that is the sort of political bit in it. It's asking you not what to think about what I'm showing you, but just asking you to think about it you know yeah. like in whatever way that um you respond to it i do it's yeah it's not about um being descriptive in terms of this is a painting about this mm. sort of thing mm. um it's saying these are some some every, this is these are everyday people's lives you know do you recognise something in that yourself? Like yeah, is there something I, you can respond to. I think
0: there's a real dignity and kind of empathy and respect within these works. Oh, and yeah. that's what's so great about them, you know, is 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 that connection you really, really have. It feels so focused and passionate for on your part.
2: I think it's that's something about making paintings, I suppose. It's is spending all this time looking at somebody um through that. Like that process of kind of getting to know the subject through making this work, like, um, I often find it weird when I. It's obviously different for subjects like Lisa or my mum because um, they're. It's almost harder sometimes. I've had such trouble painting Lisa's face <laughs> because I know it really well, yeah, right? Um, and I, and because I know that she's going to see all the paintings, yeah, you know, no. and like
1: has she seen them all yet, or is the um, exhibition going to be the first time she sees them all together?
2: Um, they're coming round. Uh, next weekend to see um, everything kind of properly, but they they saw some things in the studio a couple of months ago, and obviously send her pictures yeah. um, and complain about her, her, <laughs> being, her face. Diff- about yeah. her face. Yeah, her
1: face is, like, really, her face is really annoying.
2: She's like, oh, just make me better looking. I don't mind. <laughs> but, I mean, is, is
1: there a vanity then when you're t- when you're painting your mum and you're painting Lisa? These people, there's a responsibility to.
2: Well, you want to yeah i I don't know if um it's not about sort of flattering somebody but it's about trying to show them in a way that they would feel was um a truthful representation of that something that i I want people to feel happy with how they've been represented um and that is always sort of a bit harder with the yeah with the people that I'm really close to um and often I used to, um um, I all the boyfriends I'd ever had, I often used to sort of make a painting of them at some point during the relationship. And as soon as I'd made the painting, that was it. You dumped them. Pretty much, yeah. Really, yeah. So that was it's really weird. Point, My yeah. husband's the only one that's managed to survive. Oh, don't do a painting. Oh, you have done a painting of him? Oh, you, oh, have, you,
1: have, have, oh, you he, have.
2: He appeared in a painting as a, <laughs> sort of, um, as a pool boy, something. <laughs> <laughs> but I found it incredibly difficult to to paint well, him. Which you,
1: you must have been scared when you started painting in Yeah, he like, it, it's a curse. Well, we were already
2: I, married <laughs> by then, so I thought it might be a bit, it's a bit harder for me to sort of get this one. But yeah, with the people that I haven't that I don't know so well often it's weird when they do come to the studio and see the work because I feel like I know them so well because I've been like staring at these pictures of them and sort of like analyzing them and and think going over and over again this sort of feeling of like being with them in that quite short period um and then I realize that you know most of the relationship I've got with them is just between me and this painting it's not yeah. really with them
1: I also feel like we just saying that you're not in the images as much now but they are a self-portrait of you because they're told through the people that are closest to you in your life so I guess in some ways it is a self-portrait yeah
0: yeah those series. yeah yeah yeah
1: can we talk about before we get into our final questions your painting process you said you've got a tiny studio do you, and you're now going to move to the one in Scotland soon, is that yeah, going to so that's be that's
2: going big? to be really big, yeah.
1: Right. So are we going to see bigger works? I was going to say, are we going to get
0: huge paintings?
1: mural <laughs> size or?
2: Well, I don't know, I mean, I'm not that sort of tall myself, I already have to go up and down a ladder a lot. So um, I don't know if they're going to get that much bigger because a, they're already kind of, a, the big paintings I make are at the scale that you could walk into them. Yes. And they're already kind of a room, you know, the size of a room that they're describing. So I think if they were gonna get bigger it'd have to be describing a much bigger space. When
1: there's photographs of you stood in front of your paintings, it feels very theatrical, like you're on a movie set or a theatre set, because they are life size, as you say, the figures end up being like you can walk into the scene and be part of that domestic space.
2: Yeah. I want it's the viewer to feel like they're in that room or they're kind of they're implicated. In, some, in that action in some way. I've represented a few
0: artists who say that they make paintings and when they make them bigger, they always do them in parts, you know, in, in like a smaller canvas that joins onto another canvas onto another canvas oh, okay. because they like the actual way they can pick up the canvas themselves rather than if you had like a four-metre canvas that is that size. There's two artists I worked with. John Key's one of them, I think. And, but they loved this idea anyway of like a physicality, like the way that they actually, their own body, Hmm. Is in relation to the canvas, mm. and that they're sort of able to control it, move it around the studio, and actually have that part of it somehow.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, minor Yeah, they're too big for. You too for able to that, carry? yeah. I mean, I, I can move them around, but I can't get them up on the wall by myself or sort of move them yeah. up and down.
1: Do you have people in the studio then, assistants now?
2: No, um, I just... My husband's office is, like, five minutes walk away, so I just, like, phone and i like, get lunchtime, can you come and help me move this painting? <laughs> pop, pop
1: by the bakery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you Go get the see sandwiches Elaine from and Rab's exactly. and then
2: you've got to come and move this painting yeah, with yeah.
1: me. <laughs> Do you always work from a sketch, a study, and also the studies are part of your output that people can see. I don't think we've ever really seen the photographs, the original subjects, but we're seeing the studies and then the finished paintings. Yeah,
2: yeah. so I make these um, oil sketches, um, kind of small studies for all of the big paintings, which is kind of where I'm starting to translate that photographic language into paint. Um, And then they're what I'm using as a basis to work from for the big paintings. Um, So yeah, I, I show them alongside... The paintings, um, although they're part of the process, I do also see them as works in their own right. And do they often, ever just
1: survive as a, an oil study that never becomes a painting?
2: Yeah, yeah, do. got a number of... Um, often there's quite a few that... Um, I might have a couple of ideas for something that's quite similar, um, and it's not until I do the sketch that I can actually see what's going to work on the big scale. Um because things that work on a large scale are often quite different to the things that I'll consider for something small. Right. Um, it has to be a sort of complex enough space. It has to have quite a lot of d- um, different details and things going on in it um, to warrant making it that, that sort of larger size and to have enough interest in terms of like actually painting it.
1: And that must just be an instinct you get when you see the image. Uh, yeah, yeah, usually. How many paintings do you work on at once?
2: Um, just one at a time. Um, mainly because I've only got one painting wall. Um, Will but,
1: that change again then? The next space?
2: Um, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Um, but each painting's got a very specific palette, so it's. I I tend to sort of it's like quite self contained with that sort of the colours that I'm mixing up for that particular work. And um, sometimes I'll if I'm at the end stages with a big painting, um, and I'm not. I need to leave it for a couple of days and sort of come back and start adjusting things. I'll start the underpainting for the next painting, but that's something I do in acrylic, so it's a slightly different um, kind of thing. So I'm I'm never really working on two oil paintings at once.
1: So acrylic, underpainting always, and then the paint you use is oil. Yeah. Do you have a certain brand that you're loyal to?
2: Um, I'll use a lot of Michael Harding oil paints. Um, Also quite a lot of Winsor Newton artists, colours, um and Old Holland. That's the three mm. kind of And what what is it about oil you like most? Um ooh it's just really luscious, isn't it? I mm. think I find it a really seductive medium to move around and um it can be really juicy. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I mean all, all my paintings are done kind of wet and wet, um which is why the acrylic underpainting is quite useful for me, because that creates a structure. And that means when I go into oil painting, I'm, I'm really just able to enjoy that surface. And um, if I'm doing a big painting, I'm kind of sort of working around it. I usually start at whatever's furthest away spatially and kind of work towards the front of the, the image. Oh, right. Um, so, so you I'm might start with the figure
1: first because that's furthest away sometimes.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a painting um, that's in the Lisa show... Um, that is sort of in my mind because I was working on it a couple of weeks ago when... Uh, Peter, my photographer that shoots all my work, he came and took a portrait of me and he was like, I want you in front of this painting. Like, tell me when you're Oh, I've working seen that, that. portrait. Yes, it's yes, a I've really beautiful it. portrait. Yeah.
0: I, um, I've seen it. Um, Caron sent it to us oh, yesterday. Yeah. And Stephen yeah. Friedman. Free- and in the kitchen. We've actually yeah. Got, yeah. We've got strict instructions not to share any of the images we were sent to until. <laughs> until later, but it's a beautiful portrait.
1: Yeah. Um, that's what I was talking about. You feel like you're part of the theatre set. You are actually. Yeah.
2: Like, well, that's what he. I sort of showed him all the oil sketches for the paintings I was making and he's like, this is the one I want. Um, so he wanted me to look like I was sort of standing at the bottom of these stairs. Yes. But when I was making that painting, it's at a start. The first thing I did was this. Um, you can see the the garden out of the kitchen window at the back. So it's like I do that, and then I kind of do the kitchen cabinets and the washing machine, and then Lisa goes in on the floor, and you know, so quite the last thing to go in is the the front of the the knob on the bottom of the stairs. Sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, so yeah. it's like, um, yeah, there's this like physical kind of construction of the space, I suppose.
1: Are there anything that you... and You're saying Lisa's face frustrated you. Are there any yeah. things that you hate painting? Some artists hate hands and feet and they disguise <laughs> them as much as possible. Are there things you're like, oh, God, I've got to paint a bloody This is gossip, chair, I love it. Or I've got to paint a remote control or a TV. Are there things that you're like, ah?
2: Some really... Bo- there was some really boring stuff in the hospital paintings. The painting of theatre spent a whole day painting this beige <laughs> area of the painting that's this um it's a thing called a resocateur it's the it's a bit that they put a baby on when they've just been born and it's a sort of heated kind of um thing Matt.
1: is it like a changing uh, yeah, mat it's, a,
2: thing, it's right? sort of like that and it's got a little hood bit that comes over the top of it and it's got lights and things on it um but anyway it's like the most boring thing to paint in the world and I was like, oh, like when is this going to be finished <laughs> um <laughs> so there's often like things like that like really banal kind of dull equipment that is not interesting in any way but it's totally necessary to activate the bits that are really nice to paint mm-hmm. so in that painting it's like right as soon- I get that bit out of the way, and then tomorrow I can paint all the nice sort of theatre gowns and things like that. You know, like the bit, yeah. the, the drapery, the bits. That you give yourself are sort of, a reward. Yeah, yeah, you have to give yourself a reward to do for wow. doing really
1: boring bits. Well, you were mentioning Louise Giovanelli, who who is with Green Gallery as well, yes. who you're represented yep. by in the, in the States, and she paints a lot of curtain paintings, and they are literally just like draped curtains, huge scale, but she takes absolute, obviously, pleasure in yeah. creating these paintings whereas you can it,
2: see that I you think, can absolutely
1: see that whereas yeah. I feel like that element of your work would be the bit that you would be like get this out of the way so I can get to the well, the
2: curtain would be alright Oh, really? flat walls yeah uh, really... sometimes I feel like I'm actually painting your walls yeah. because
1: they're so big you're doing like house yeah, renovations yeah, yeah I've <laughs> has got
2: like a sort of four inch brunch <laughs> well,
1: some yeah. of the paintings of Lisa there are renovations it's like a plaster <laughs> wall at one point yeah. isn't
2: there? yeah much to my brother's annoyance He's like, what did you paint that in for? I'm like, what's well, what it looks like? <laughs> 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 there's, a stuff, um, there's a bit in that painting of yeah, plasterboard. Yeah. yeah, and there's like a um, patch on the kitchen ceiling, which is where he fell through the ceiling when he was doing some plumbing work in the bathroom. <laughs>
0: He wants to do, like, a changing rooms, like, renovation in the painting yeah. of, of the house. People are going
1: to be, you know, they're going to see that as coding. In about 400 years, people are going to be looking at that painting, going, like, this area of the ceiling obviously signifies, like, an <laughs> yes. emotional journey. It's, no, it's my <laughs> brother, Phil, through the
2: ceiling.
1: They won't realise.
2: It was an emotional journey for Lisa. It took him six months to do the bathroom. So yeah, oh, was wow.
1: Why is it always... You know what it makes me think of, though? Because it coincides with so much of a newborn baby and friends having kids. They do their house at the same time. Yeah. Which always yeah. And like, it
2: never gets... It's never... Done in time. Itself. No,
1: so suddenly you've got all this like paraphernalia of renovating a house alongside a newborn baby. hope yeah.
0: renovations like stressful
2: enough. Yeah, like,
0: they
1: always seem to coincide because you're always yeah. trying to get the nursery ready for the baby, and then it just yeah. goes. Well, let's do this as well, and yeah. then suddenly it's too late, and you're in it.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's funny because the the house their house now doesn't even look like that. That the kitchen, the sort of country kitchen that's in there, that's quite uh, hideous, and they hate. <laughs> as that they've now ripped it out, and they're he's in the process of. Putting a new kitchen in, so Mm. it's a it's a real snapshot again of like a particular moment in in their life as a family in that house as well.
1: It's incredible, but like our our projections onto it is that I know I recognise that scene. I know I've been in I've been in that house. I've been (laughs) with friends who are (laughs) experiencing that, and that's what your work is. It's it's universal and it's the every man, or the every woman. So. The final questions we come to. The first one is: If you could do an art heist, I don't know if you're a collector of art yourself or if you trade with artists, but what work of art would you have for yourself and why?
2: If I could have anything in the world ever, I would have Manny's A Bar at the Foley bergeres <gasps> It's my favourite painting ever. <laughs> and actually,
0: didn't because Griselda Pollock wrote a really amazing article about your work or a, a yeah, piece of writing wrote, about Yeah, she work. wrote an essay, and for she included her... that in it, didn't she? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I was sort of, um, yeah. That was such an amazing moment for me having Griselda write about my work because she's somebody who's writing I've been reading, you know, since I was a student. And yeah, and for her to talk about my work in the context of a painting like that as as having a, a conversation with that kind of work is yeah, really special for me. But. Um yeah, that, I mean, that painting, I could I could never tire of looking at it. Where
1: is it? Have you seen it in the flesh,
2: obviously? Yeah, many times. Is that the Courtauld? It's in London, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And it's the barmaid that's looking out at you, but then yep. the sight line, the reflection of the barmaid doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's you won't right. You be able to see it yeah. in that reflection. It's yeah. sort of,
2: it's kind of everything for me. and It's the possibility of what a painting can do, but still within this realms of being naturalistic yeah. in its... What it's presenting, you know, it's reality, but it's a, there's something a little bit, there's a mystery about it. And that look on her face you know, it's really inscrutable. You don't, yeah, you again, kind of. Like,
1: what do you want? What, yeah, what are yeah. you after? But I guess like, what Manet has done, which is what your work is doing, is he's giving her agency and made her exist. I guess she would have been, would that have been an invisible job? I guess not. Barmaids are quite a focal.
2: Yeah, like, and I suppose uh, it was, she probably would have been the um subject of quite a lot of unwanted attention I imagine as yeah, well yeah. in a place like the Folie But yeah. um I mean I think that the painting was a sort of uh a construction in his studio um with that model with somebody that he worked with a number of times over his career. Yeah. Um but yeah, I just think it's I mean it's a beautiful painting but it's also just such a window into a Another time. Yeah, it's history. Yeah. It's uh,
0: It's funny, those paintings, because they're so familiar to everybody. They're, they're kind of in our consciousness, mm. in a sense, like if you've been exposed to, to, to art, I guess. But I think people that have been, it's kind of a painting that everyone thinks they know, but when you actually go and see it, it's such a different thing, mm. isn't it? These, these iconic works are actually... St- iconic for a reason it's not really reason. the
1: scale because you just see them reproduced in books yeah exactly you can't yeah. really get a grip of it and then when you see no. it in the flesh you're like that is tiny like the mona lisa for example is like mm. everyone goes to see that and they're like it's tiny mm. and then you see guernico and you're like it's huge but <laughs> yeah. you only see it yeah. in books another question quickly to go back though is is the conceit of the peeping tom ever <laughs> something you've considered
2: um what do you mean
1: by that well like because I, 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 the peeping Tom thing is the voyeuristic approach, is someone kind of in the tree watching watching a woman and them not realising they're being watched. The the peeping Tom, and it's something that I was like, what the hell is the peeping Tom? And then I went back, I've got like the history of it here, which oh, I really? can reveal. But that that kind of concept of being watched without realising you're being watched.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, I suppose peeping Tom, though, I think suggests a, a sexualised yeah, gaze, right. doesn't it? Yeah, or a threat and, as well. Yeah, yeah, and I think... What I'm interested in that viewpoint of somebody that's not aware of being watched is that they're not performing to anybody either. You know, that they're absorbed in the thing that they're doing and their unawareness of being looked at means that they might be, you might see something different. Yeah. than if they In an unguarded moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I
0: think it's a daydreaming element as well, because the ones where you're looking through a window, like there's there's this sense that like they've got all their thoughts going on. Whereas yeah. if you said to them, can I do a portrait of you? They're going to look at you, aren't they? It's a bit like if you do a photograph of someone when they're not aware. Posed. Sometimes you mm. get the most beautiful yeah. portraits.
1: Yeah, let me just... A peeping time for people that... Are worried about that. Are, um, <laughs> so basically, hundreds of years ago, Lady Godiva was good news, and all the peasants were being taxed a lot. And she said to her husband, If I can go through the town naked on a horse and none of the peasants look at me, then will you stop taxing? the poor so much and he said yeah it's impossible you're never going to be able to do it you're a beautiful woman you're never going to be able to go through a town naked on horseback but she did go through naked on horseback through the town and all the peasants looked away they said we're not going to observe her but Tom the tailor broke the trust and spied on her so that's where the term peeping Tom comes from yes so he kind of ruined it for everyone
0: wow that's crazy yeah I never heard that
1: before
0: the other question we ask every guest (laughs) is what is your favourite colour
2: I knew you were going to ask this. (laughs) (laughs) It's a difficult question. Um, As a painter, um, so I've got two answers. I'm allowed two answers.
0: You're allowed anything you want. (laughs)
2: Um, There's a colour that I couldn't do without um, on my palette, which is ultramarine violet, um, and I use it in everything. Every single painting has always got this violet in it. Has it? Yeah, even though like it's not it's not very visible, I use it as a sort of mixing kind of thing to um, especially when I'm doing things like beige hospital equipment (laughs) like it's got quite a lot of ultramarine violet mixed into it Um, but then there's colours that I'm really excited about squeezing out um, to use, Um, number one would probably be King's Blue which is a pale kind of bluey purple colour and it's something that I use a bit when I'm Often some of these more voyeuristic paintings of mine looking into windows are at twilight. Mm. So that kind of purpley blue kind of light that might be on the outside of the building looking into the warm interior, that's often got a lot of this king's blue in it. Um, and then the other favourite is this one called, um, oh, was it Oxide of Chromium? or It's this, sort of, this green and it stinks, but I love the smell <laughs> of, of it. It's I don't know something like really toxic. <laughs> it must be maybe it's just chromiums. So, like you know, yeah, must, yeah. it smells of metal. It's sort of one of those like I'm sure it's like really bad for me even just sort of sniffing it. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's this really dense kind of quite grey, grey and um, greeny grey colour. Um, so I'm always quite pleased if I get a chance to use it because it's not a colour that like, sort of crops up that often.
1: I guess PPE blue must appear a lot recently with.
2: Oh, kind of yeah, yeah, ward. that's Cerulean Blue, got yeah. through sort of tubes and tubes of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I
1: bet. A lot of artists who were kind of channelling work at the PP Blue during the pandemic must have been going through tubes.
2: Yeah, they? sales of Cerulean Blue yes. have come Now to they're the
1: probably route. going, no, we need another lockdown to make a sale in of all, of all these paints we've got, yeah. Who was
0: the other artist that did that amazing series that Oliver Hemsley loves? Is it um, Barbara Hepworth yeah, who did the, the, the Nurses? Oh, the the yeah, nurses. The, so, series. Are you aware of
2: those ones? Oh, yeah, they're yeah. fantastic. Um, sort of Drawings of surgeons, I think, yes. a lot of them. And they have amazing focus on the hands yeah. working together in this quite collaborative way. Yeah, they're incredible pieces. Of and wearing face of masks, aren't they? And
1: yes, yeah. exactly.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah, I remember Oliver telling us about them. Yeah. What
1: is the best advice you've ever received when it comes to your
2: art? When I was in my last year of my BA at Glasgow, it was in 2003, 2004, Um, I kind of lost my way a little bit for a couple of years at art school, kind of trying to find myself <laughs> um artistically. And I one I got to the stage where I was making I was making paintings of figures, but they were just sort of floating around and kind of nothing. Um and one of my tutors, um, a really great painter called Moina Flanagan, who is um also one of the artists that shows with Ingleby Gallery, who I also work with, um She said to me, she was like, what are these figures doing? She's put them somewhere. And that was the best bit of, I mean, it seems really obvious, but it was a bit like, oh, oh yeah, she put them somewhere. And that's kind of all I've been doing since then. Putting figures somewhere and thinking about where they are. Practical,
0: direct, but super useful. Yeah. Yeah,
2: and that kind of, that was really then the start of the work that I'm still making now like putting f- like figures in interiors. Um, Brilliant. So, Amazing. Yeah. Well, thank
1: you very much. <laughs> um, your show is coming up at Stephen Friedman Gallery from the 28th of April to the 28th of May called Lisa. What else can we see?
2: Um, I have a show on at the moment at Nottingham Castle, ah. which is a sort of double solo show. It's Me and Laura Knight, which I'm quite excited about because it's another artist whose work I really admire um, and who... Made a lot of paintings of women at work, which was why um, our works have been put together in this context.
1: When was she working? Is she still working?
2: Uh, no, she was. Main, she was active mainly in the uh, first half of the 20th century. And right. um, she died in 1970. Okay. Um, some of her most famous work. She was a, um, a World War Two official sort of artist, and she made a lot of paintings of women working in munitions factories um, and doing, you know, stepping into these. Um, quite male-dominated spaces, and she also made some beautiful paintings of women um, ballet dancers <clears throat> behind the scenes, you like know, Degas. in their dressing rooms and things. Yeah, like Degas, but I think <clears throat> with a slightly different viewpoint, probably because of her position as a, a woman artist, she kind of afforded a, a slightly different access to, to these women um, in this quite private space of a dressing room. So.
1: it reminds me of an incredible thing I, was, I interviewed an artist the other day about when the war was happening a were at war, the women were at home and their lingerie and underwear changed because it wasn't to appeal for the male gaze, because so much of the lingerie was designed to please the man Mm -hmm. instead of being, like, comfortable for the women. And they were in this really comfortable lingerie, and they said that when the war finished, a lot of women complained because suddenly they had to wear everything was kind of tightened up and neater, and everything was kind of less comfortable for them, but just to appease the man. Yeah. And it really made me just consider all these kind of situations that come that women have been subjected to because of the male gaze because of the male knee. Yeah,
2: yeah, It takes something like a war to actually shift something a bit. Yeah. Into... But
1: then it went back after the war, then it was like they had this period of history where they were comfortable. Yeah, and then yeah. And suddenly after the war, it's so... like, okay, now you get...
2: Yeah, but also there's
0: been a whole development, if you think of like as provocateur, and even in recent times, like like of underwear, where it's women choosing mm. the underwear to empower themselves. So it's no longer, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's about feeling sexy and, and that's valid too. Yeah. It's all possible. Yeah. It's not all just what, about what, what a man wants. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, well this has been incredible. So not in Nottingham Castle, then Stephen Friedman Gallery, and then yep. lots, because you are very <laughs> successful and you're getting lots of attention and, and how is that? Do you just have to shut the noise out or
2: Yeah, you just you know, it doesn't um it doesn't matter how much exciting stuff's going on and if you can't paint Lisa's face when you're in the studio, it's just as annoying as ever. So um yeah, when when I'm in the studio just um, you're just focused on what you're you're making and trying to make that work and the things that you're trying to achieve. So it's quite easy to, to separate all that stuff out, I think.
0: It sounds like Scotland's going to be a wonderful adventure for you, and I'm really glad that you're able to make space for your creativity to protect that. It's really exciting. So you can visit at Stephen Friedman Gallery on Instagram to find out more about the exhibition that opens at the end of April on the 29th. You're also represented by Grimm in New York and Amsterdam and Ingleby Gallery in Edinburgh. Yeah, you can go to all their Instagrams. We'll be sharing and linking to everybody. Are you on Instagram?
2: I am, yep. What's your handle? I'm um, at Caroline Walker Artist. Cool, very direct, love that. So you can uh,
0: follow Caroline's work there and also send her messages of love and admiration and respect (laughs) because we love you very much. Your paintings are extraordinary and it's been such a great privilege. And I can't tell you the amount of artists who heard we were doing this episode and like screamed when they heard. They were literally like, you're meeting Caroline Walker? I love her work. Like people are really into your work, other artists. It's really wonderful to
2: see. That's so nice to see.
0: Yeah, so thank you so much for everything. Thanks very much. Generous interview, thank
1: you. All right, we'll see you all soon, everyone. We'll be back very soon. Bye, Bye, Caroline. Bye. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby.
0: Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode with music by Jack Northover.
1: Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts.
0: Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening.
2: only from rustolium